Hey, you didn't need to wrap it up quite so quickly. I, I, I love Sundays. I love Sunday mornings, and I love stepping up here in front of my home church. And just that feeling of we have come together. And it is sweet because we're here for one reason. I love that line. And I think it was the third song when it says that the angels roar for Christ the King. Love it. Seriously love that because I had an opportunity maybe a month ago. I was down in Sarasota, Florida, and I went to the Ringling Museum down there. And I'm looking at these impressionist paintings that are the size of a wall. And they are including, um, the, the painters are including pictures of angels. And they, they, they've got these, these babies that, that, that are in diapers, and they look like cupids, you know, and they've got their little bows, in, you know, and they're kind of like this. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen these pictures, right? The, those babies don't roar. When you read the Word of God, you get a very different impression of what angels are. I mean, this isn't even part of the sermon, but I felt so worked up about it. <laughs> that, that line, George, man, that, that line got a hold of me. When you read Scripture, I mean, invariably, when angels are part of the text, the people who are part of the text are terrified. And I want to say that beings that are terrifying in all of their light and glory are going to be enough to shout and really lend to Christ, the King, the glory he deserves. Anyway, I just got a hold of my heart and it just feels good right now to be up here and, you know, to have had Trent come and share and that's strong and that's true and that's where we want to be as a church with the right kind of God-honoring heart for one another, right? So we want to be those sorts of people. Uh, if you have your Bible, that's excellent. <laughs> Take your Bible and open it up to Psalm 84. That's where we're going to be today. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay too, all right? Because we're going to be having the uh, text up here in slides, and we're just going to walk kind of through this psalm together and see what it says to us about the theme of home and what it means to be home and what it means to have a safe home, what it means to live with people and in particular to live with one, to live with the Father who dwells there in that home. I love Psalm 84. There's so many verses in this psalm that are so powerful. They're relatively well known. We're going to take a, a look at, at some of those. But what does it mean to be invited into that home? Maybe even for the first time this morning. Maybe for the first time. I, I can remember it was uh, Easter of 1989 and... Kim invited me home to her family for Easter dinner. And it wasn't just her mom and dad and her sister, uh, but that there were at least two dozen people, you know, there in the house. And it was the whole extended family and then relatives uh, of, of, you know, who had kind of married in and kids all around. And 
A lot of people, and I don't remember why it was, but Kim and I did not arrive back at her home uh, together. And, you know, I had to come later in my own vehicle, and so I showed up. I'm dressed in my Easter Sunday best. You know, I've got my, my blazer and my tie on, and for, for whatever reason, I have my Bible with me too. I didn't leave my Bible in the, in the car, and I, I don't know if that was... In western Michigan, it's kind of a thing especially in the Dutch Reformed tradition, for dads to read from the Bible before and after a meal, okay? And maybe that was in my head, I don't know. It sounds really holy. Anyway, <laughs> I have my Bible. Okay, so I step up to the door, I knock, and this woman comes to the door and she says, well, hi, Nathan. And I looked at her and I said, you must be Debbie, Kim's sister. Kim has a sister who's about five years older than her. And this woman looks at me and she says, actually, no, uh, I'm Kimberly's mom. But God bless you forever. forever. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, I, I took off. I was like, you know, an F-15 right up through the sky. I was doing well. And then I stepped into the living room and I start to meet people. I meet her dad and remember how I was dressed and her dad, her brother-in-law, and all these other guys, they're big, tough, you know, blue-collar type guys. And they're kind of dressed a little bit more like I'm dressed today. And they look at me, and they look at the Bible in my hand. I put the Bible down on the table. They look at me, and they look at their Bible. And I could just see the look on their face. They're like, who is this guy, you know? <laughs> the, the, the pastor <laughs> has arrived. <laughs> I meet them, it doesn't end there. I meet people, we go through the meal, honey-baked ham, and then the family clears out and it's just the four of us, uh, Kim and myself and, and her mom and dad. Here's the Easter tradition in Kim's home. We put in that old VHS, it was VHS, baby, the movie, The Terminator. Every Easter Sunday, and I, to, to this day, I can't figure out the theological connection between, between Easter, you know, Resurrection Sunday, and, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that old 80s flat top, sunglasses, and, you know, it's a violent movie, and, you know, are you Sarah Connor? Why, yes, I am. You know, and he's killing everyone named Sarah Connor in the phone book. I, I, I had never seen the movie, but I knew that it was violent. And so I said to them, hey, um, I, I, I'm a little nervous going into this movie. And her dad kind of looks at me like, what are you talking about? And, and I said, if there's a way for you to just kind of let me know when a violent scene is coming so that I can kind of brace myself and look away if I want to. Her dad was seriously speechless. <laughs> and her mom was like, oh, okay, I'll do, I'll do that for you. But her mom, you know, such a sweet, uh, very, very commanding, but also disarming kind of a woman. That every time, and she had seen the movie, I don't know how many times, but every time a violent scene came up, she would forget. <laughs> and then the, there'd be the scene and then her mom, oh, I, sorry, I forgot, I forgot, that's where that happened. That's what it was like for me to walk into Kim's family and Kim's home where there was actually this, 
social dynamic. You know, it wasn't just walking into a new house. It was walking into a new place, a new people for the first time. What's it like for you? Now, we don't want to talk this morning about our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on, they've gone home, they've gone home to heaven, but we're not going to be talking about heaven today, okay? Uh, We're not talking about this church, West Shore Free Church, as our church home. We're not talking about that kind of home today. And we're actually not talking about what, what has been your family home or what has been your childhood experience of a home for as many of us as have just wonderful memories that we can kind of fall back on and remember and, and kind of bring to bear those reassurances, there, there, are, there are those of us in the room right now who are like, I would much, much, much rather forget my childhood home for sure. And so for all of us, and maybe especially those of us who have had not the best experience of home, I want to kind of introduce or at least remind again the kind of home that God offers us in him. And he does that in Psalm 84. Okay? So if you're in Psalm 84... Uh, that's good, and if we could get the first verse. Mary and I are working together on this last service, and it went, it went pretty well, and for his, if it didn't go well, it was all my fault, okay? So here, actually, in the ver- first verse here, it says, to the choir master, court. that's kind of the heading, and the first verse is going to actually start where it says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, and then the second verse, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. It it is all about desire. And you see that there in your notes? Desire. And a desire that I have to want to be at home and with whom Do I desire to share that home? I want to share it with the living God. It used the word dwelling in the first verse. Well, why do I want to dwell there? It's because he's there. That's why I want to be there. I want to be with him. That's why. I just want to be near him. And it's not even so much that I want to know things about him. I just want to be close an emotional thing and it gets a hold of my heart and the psalms you know the same guys who composed this particular psalm song in chapter 42 of the psalter they said as the deer pants for the water brooks so my soul pants for thee O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when can i go and meet with god I just got to get there. Or David, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. 
I'll seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I feel like I live in that land and I need you. David also wrote in Psalm 27, one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I may dwell, verse one here in Psalm 84, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I just want him. And in Psalm 91, he or she who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I mean, this this is God's word. And I hope we're not bored. This is how God in his love compelled people to communicate their love for him back to him. And that's not a boring thing. At least not not for those of us who are actually in the relationship with him, right? Desire. But even as I'm thinking about that, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Mark. And he's telling this parable of the sower. And he's explaining that the, the word of God is like seed and it's, it's spread about and there's a different response, four different responses to that, to that spread of the seed and the third response, uh, which is not a sufficient response, describes how thorns grow up around the seed and they choke the seed and keep the seed from growing. And there are three things Three ways in which those thorns are described. One of them has to do with the worries of of this world. The worries of the world choke. They choke. And I I don't know about you, I, I see that. I see that right here in this neighborhood. Like I'm, I make a left off Gettysburg onto 114 and there's cars coming underneath the Route 15 overpass, and I see a mom, I'm assuming it's a mom, there's a woman in a minivan, and she's talking like this, and she's kind of looking, and, she, and the look on her face is so full of anxiety that my heart just goes out to her. I don't know who she is. I start praying for that woman, Father, you know, oh my word. The worries of this world and they choke. Another thing that chokes, the deceitfulness of wealth. It says there, the deceitfulness of money. You know, I I saw that growing up. I grew up in a very wealthy community, kind of a suburb, bedroom community in New York City, and I I remember all the cars that, you know, it, it was like these these girls, I'd go to their sweet 16 parties and then, you know, in the whole hotel, they'd rent out the whole hotel for the party. And, you know, and she would drive, she didn't want to make, she wanted to make sure she didn't drive a silver Jetta back, you, you know, f- for her birthday present. She had to have a BMW. 16! 
But it was that kind of a place, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. But the third thing, you know, the third thorn? Desires for other things. What do you desire most? David said, one thing have I asked. The guys who wrote this psalm, I want to dwell with him. And the language I'm going to use as I'm writing here says that I long for him. And if I don't get him in a hurry, I faint for him. Because I've just got to get close. I've got to get close. Desire. And it's going to talk about the heart. Know that that is a heart-rending cry. I just need to be close to God. Clear out the rest. Give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Okay? Desire. Verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home. That's my favorite verse today in the psalm. My favorite phrase. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Powerful. Uh, I, I want you to know, and this is something of, uh, it's something of an admission, but I'm also semi-proud of this, that I'm a bird watcher. I love to watch birds. And so because of that, um, I, I have these feeders off our deck at home, and we try to bring the birds in. And I, all the different seasons, and there are different varieties, and they come in, and I love. My favorite birds to this, to this day is probably the black-capped chickadee. Love the black-capped chickadee. And I, I, I love the hummingbirds. They're so, they're so precious and the way they move, you know. Uh, so we got the hummingbirds, the ruby-throated hummingbird. And, uh, and we've got, uh, what else, the nuthatches. Uh, and the titmice, and the goldfinches, and the cardinals, the red-bellied woodpecker, and the downy woodpecker, and the cedar waxwings come through. And, and do you know that the, the dark-eyed juncos? I love the dark-eyed juncos, too. They come and go in flocks. But you know who I don't like? I don't like the sparrows. <laughs> I seriously don't like the sparrows because you, they, 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 they come... There's a whole bunch of them usually, and then they just camp out, and, and they eat. They're like little piglets, and, and, and they just eat and eat and eat, and then they leave no food for the other birds, and they're, they're brown, they're, so they're ugly. They don't bring the color, you know? They don't bring the color. And they're just, it's just like, come on, get Move over. I, I don't care about the sparrow, but, but here, here's the thing. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to be funny right now so that I don't get choked up. But that um, God cares about the sparrow. I don't really care about the sparrow. 
but God cares about the sparrow. And Jesus said in the Gospels that, that a sparrow can't hit the ground without God taking note. Harry Ironside said, one day he was the pastor of Moody Church many years ago, for many years, he said, God attends the funeral of every sparrow. And so, despite my poor attitude, Sparrow knows that it's safe with him. That's the point of the text. God cares about the sparrow, and God cares about the swallow. A swallow's a little bit prettier bird, sure, but they throw up their net mud to make their nests in the rafters and barns. They make a gigantic mess. They're a nuisance, but not to God. Be, be, because the swallow, e, e, even though she's building her net, she's a mom. And she needs a place to put her young and to allow her dainty little vulnerable young to sleep. I'm so I was hiking one time, and I come around a corner, and I mean, there's a big rock right here on my right, and I came around a corner, and I'm not kidding you, from me to you, in fact, closer, there's a female bear with two cubs walking right for me. And I froze, and she froze, and as she froze, one of the cubs jumped right up on top of her back with its legs spread and went, like that, right at me. And thank God it wasn't a grizzly, it was a black bear. If it was a grizzly, I wouldn't be here today. But black bear, and, and I, but I, I froze, and she, she was a good-looking bear, you know. You could tell she was young, glossy coat, no scars on her face from having been in bear fights. And she, you know, so I... You know, I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm, I'm just kind of going like this. And she kind of shrugs like this to get the one off her shoulders. And then right as I go like this, I see her reach down with her paw down the slope. And because I didn't, I didn't, she had a second cub. And, and she scooped up that cub like this. And like a bowling ball, I saw her go, vroom, and throw the cub down the trail behind her. And that's when I said goodbye. <laughs> and I waited, but the, the, the point is this. The look in her eye was, you had better not mess with me. She could have done a lot of damage to me. The sparrow, give me a break. The swallow, that's not happening. But the swallow is a mom, and the sparrow 
is, is, is fragile. Do you ever feel like a sparrow? There are times in my life when I do. And God says, you know what? I am right here. Come on home. And he says to the swallow, and I think he says to moms in the room right now, grandmothers, all of us, but moms in particular, if you've got kids and you wonder sometimes about your ability and how to raise those kids and how those kids have turned out and you are praying and your knees are bloody and your face is soap and how's it gonna turn out? You keep praying, but know this, that you can lay your young at the foot of his altar and they will be safe there. Sometimes that's the biggest challenge, is just laying my kid down at the foot of the altar. And as I do that, it's gonna mean that somehow I have to take like maybe half a step back because I have to not get in the way of what God wants to do there. And I'm still watching and I'm still praying and I'm still, of course, I will always love. Kids are young, they're safe at the foot of his altar. Safety. So those two things, desire, safety. Verse five, what do we get? Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. So the idea here is that we're on a journey to God. Uh, But in order to get to him, we need his strength. But he supplies it because he wants to make sure that we do get to him. And so that's what's going on. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and I have it in my heart, this highway. In my heart, he is where I want to arrive. Next verse. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Uh, Baca, the word Baca there, it's singular word for a certain kind of tree. And so the idea is that you've entered into a valley that's a pretty dry place because only one tree grows in it. It's a desert, and that's what's going on there. But you go through that anyway because you're undaunted. And as you go through, because God is your strength, he's strengthening your faith, and and you begin to, as one commentator, I, I just love this one phrase. He said, because of your faith, you're digging blessings out of the hardships. You're digging blessings out of the hardships. But not only that, as you dig, fountains start to pour forth, okay? And so there are these fountains coming up as you make your way through that valley. And those fountains are not only blessing you, they're blessing the people around you. Okay, next verse, seven. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God. And so I love that phrase, they go from strength to strength. What it means is that they're getting stronger the closer they get. I was down in Port Charlotte, Florida, about a month ago, and I'm visiting a former friend who's a pastor of a church down there. 
in, uh, in Port Charlotte. That's where all the Major League Baseball teams do their spring training, Port Charlotte. And, um, and, and so I'm there. And, but on that day, I was really looking forward to him preaching. He had asked his dad to come and preach. And his dad, uh, his dad actually had discipled many, many pastors uh, up in our area, Sealands Grove, Williamsport, uh, central Pennsylvania, uh, for many, many years. And his dad now is into his 80s. But it's the closest thing, guys, I've come to, uh, to see as far as fire and brimstone, and it must be 50 years, okay? He gets up there, and he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the bad side, the bad kind of fire and brimstone, but he was, there was such authority and he said this, he said, you know, there are some battles that the mature in Christ don't have to fight anymore. And I, I was like, brother, you, you don't understand, you're not supposed to say something like that in 2017. Like, we all need to hear that we're all equal, and it's always, you know, the faith is nothing but three steps forward and three steps back, and... Yeah, that's kind of offensive. He finished it this way. He said, there are some battles that the mature in Christ don't have to fight because they have fought them and they have won and they've moved on. Wow. Wait a second. That's what it means when it says in, in Psalm 84, they go from strength to strength. They're mobile. They're actually making their way up what Jesus called the narrow path. They're getting closer to the narrow door. And sure, they're shedding company. There might not be as many people around as there used to be. That's the one thing about the narrow road versus the broad road. The further down the broad road you go, the more of a party it is until you get to the gate. But you go on up that narrow road you're probably not going to have as many people close by. But he's making you more like Jesus. Strength to strength. And then the last thing when it says, each one, whoops, back to, yeah, each one appears before God in Zion. That's because God himself, God who is in Zion, God who is in heaven, God who is in the heart, makes sure that we always get home. That is a glorious truth, don't you think? He makes sure that we get home. Each one appears before God in Zion, and there's no one missing. So that's good news. All right, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Isn't it true that there are times in our lives when we just say, what about me? Like, Father, I look around and I pray for people. I've got friends and family and I can even put my finger on what I think is answered prayer. But it just feels like there's something almost wasting away inside me. And I'm wondering where the blessing that I see show up in the other people's life. I wonder where that is in my life. And it just hurts right now. And it feels like everywhere I turn in my own life is just a trial. And it's really hard. And what about me? 
And I think right here in these two verses, eight and nine, that what's going on is that these guys, these, the, the psalm writer, the sons of Korah, are saying, hear me. I mean, really hear me, and I need to know that you hear me. Look at me, and I need to know that you see me. Love me. Love me. Because I can't get, it reminds me of the woman from Syrophoenicia in Matthew 15, I think it is, and she comes before Jesus and she says, and she doesn't say to him, um, have mercy on my daughter because she's demon-possessed, and so please come and exercise the demon from my daughter. She says, have mercy on me. My daughter is possessed. And isn't it true? And not just for moms, all of us. I need you. Because everyone else around me, whom I love and I'm thankful for, but they and what they are going through is wearing me out. I need mercy. Hear me, look at me, love me. And that's all right. That's not, God doesn't say, oh, you're being so selfish. Oh, you're being so self-centered. No. He answers answers in those moments, okay? Verse 10, for a day, oh, we got time. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So three things about this verse. I, I would rather have a day just one day with God than a thousand anywhere else. And I can think of some pretty cool places to spend a thousand days in. I can think of some pretty cool places to spend just one 24-hour period in. And he's saying no. Time does not matter to me. Doesn't signify and I'll trade a thousand days, and I'll take just one day as long as I'm close to him. Time doesn't matter. Neither does station or uh, position or calling. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I mean, what is, you know, here's, here's the door. Come on in. Thank, welcome. Close the door, make sure the cold draft doesn't come through. Doorkeeper. I'd rather be that as long as it's in God's house. As long as God's at home there, that's where I want to be. So, time does not matter. Position does not matter. And he even wraps it up here by saying, you know, third thing, I suppose. I don't want to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Lifestyle doesn't matter to me. Ancient world, those sorts of tents, you know, you've heard the Bedouin uh, culture and so forth. They could be posh to live in those tents. But these guys are saying, I'll have none of it. Lifestyle doesn't matter to me. Only he does. Only him. Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun 
says elsewhere in the Psalms, in Psalm 37, that he makes my, the justice of my cause to shine like the noonday sun. For the Lord God is a sun, he's a shield, that means he protects me. The Lord bestows favor, that is, he, he extends his grace. He extends his grace and he honors me. By the way, something I shared in the first hour, I want to share it again real quick. When it says that he extends his grace, when we're in his courts and he's extending his justice and the full breadth of his character, that grace is not grayness. I just want to help us to understand you know, a little bit of refinement on our understanding of what grace, God's grace is. It's not grayness. It's not God saying, oh, well, you know, that was such a, a confusing kind of a sin for me, and I don't know that it was any big deal anyway. It was really kind of meager, and uh, let, let's just, if you look the other way, I'll look the other way. Grayness. I can't really decide on the morality of what you just did. That's not, that's not grace. That's grayness but that's not grace. Neither is grace ingratiating. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it's not God saying, well, <sighs> you sinned and I really wish you hadn't, but I can't afford to lose you, and so I'm going to try to win your favor and you know, haul you back up onto my party wagon so, so that I can be as popular as I was before you sinned. <laughs> It's not God being ingratiating. God is not a sycophant toward us. He doesn't love us because we are lovable. He loves us because he is love. All right, so I just want to make, for the Lord is a son, he's a shield, he grants favor, he grants honor, he rewards. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk Uprightly, And then the final verse, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So he offers these things. He feeds our desire for him. But he offers safety. He offers strength. He offers an ear and an eye that actually truly, deeply, perfectly listen and see. And he offers the kind of home that makes it worthwhile even if you're a doorkeeper, even if you only get one day. And we won't, we'll have eternity. But even if it were one day, it'd be worth it. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll ask the Lord for that kind of faith to believe that these things are true about his home. Father, we want them to be true. But we read them in your word and we know them to be true. And so, Father, that's the application for us today, isn't it? For us to come home, to come home to you, to know the kind of safety that you provide for us and for the people that we love, the people who are in our lives, the kind of strength that you provide so that we can get back to you, the kind of focus that you grant us in your love to really be attentive to us. Father, all these things, we desire them, make them a reality. Make them a reality for every person, every heart in the room.
And carry it forth, Father, we pray. Carry it forth. Bring us home, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.